I thought with our provision for the vision being here, that today I would talk about money and I would talk about my philosophy around giving, around money, around what the Word says and, uh, and just put it to you. So it's good, it's something we think about all the time. Money's in the news all the time. If you think about it, right, it's, it's you know, inflation, 7.8%. That's a lot. They're talking about interest rates going up again, right? And we've had so many interest rate rises. It's going up. Rents are crazy. House prices are through the roof. The cost of living is just going up and up in so many ways. And yet at the same time, the Commonwealth Bank makes $10 billion last year. You know, work that out. That's $19,000 a minute. Every minute they make $19,000. You know, we're a little blessed and a little bit protected, Nina and I, because of our age and our stage in life. But for a lot of people, it's very tough right now. So worrying about finances, thinking about finances is not a new thing. I think every one of us would agree there's been some stage where we've lay a bed at night trying to work out some financial deal, something that's gone on. How am I going to pay for that? All these kind of asks, all these kind of things I'm supposed to give money to and, and, and it's just not there. What do I do? But I do believe that God has an answer to it. And this morning, that's what I'd like to address. That's what I'd like to talk about. So a lot of you would know that many years ago, I wrote a book, right? This is called Faith Raising, Not Fundraising. And it was essentially for pastors who uh, just with 52 teachings around giving. And, it, and it's pretty cool. And it's even got a MA section, right? A sealed section there that you can have a look at. So uh, have a look at that. I've, I've got them out there. They're free, so you can take one. And just, just have a look at that. So the reason I did that is that when I was at Paradise Community Church Influences Futures Church, when I was uh, there, uh, I used to receive the offering every week. So every week we'd do a little teaching around the offering, around giving, and I was the one who did it every week. So I, I, I spoke a lot about it. And it was my job to inspire people to talk to people around giving. And to be honest, I actually loved it. I, I never minded it. I never backed off from it. I never felt I was pressurizing people. I never felt like I was like this greasy little salesman that's trying to con people. You know, I, I truly believe, and I still believe that inspiring to people to give to God by giving to church will free them and ultimately be the wisest and safest investment advice they could ever actually get. God will look after you. I wasn't conning people. I felt I was helping them. And everyone who's had a revelation around giving agrees with me. But that's the key. It's a revelation. It's not something that comes naturally. It's not something that you really want to do, but it's something that comes by revelation. One day, God shows you that it's a good idea. It's not a man talking. It's not like some sort of thing I'm going to... It's, it's you get this revelation. And that's, to be honest, why... I never, ever judge someone who doesn't give because you just haven't had the revelation. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you're evil. I don't call you names. I don't say you lack faith. I don't tell you you're greedy or, or stingy. I don't have any of that. I don't, I don't think it because if you have a revelation, you'll get it. And if you haven't got the revelation, then like, that's not your fault. You'll get it at some stage, right? And so God will show you 
And so I don't judge you. And that's why I'm happy to speak about it every time. Because like, God will do something in your life. It's not for me. It's not me being some sort of salesman telling you. See, in a, in a Bible college years, when I was doing Bible college, I, I didn't get it. And I didn't give. I, I, if I had something left over, or if I was emotionally moved enough, right, by what someone said, then yeah, maybe I'd, I'd give. But it wasn't something I ever did by revelation. But I remember, and I, I was trying to think, when, when was, did that revelation come? And I was thinking about it this morning, and I think it was when Mrs. Evans preached at Bible college one time. Mrs. Evans was Pastor Andrew's wife, very stern, strong lady. Who knows Mrs. Lorraine Evans? Does anyone know who she is? Right? Scary lady. All right? Scary lady, but I loved her very, very much. And, uh, but I did. And then when I got it, I just, I started double tithing at that time. And so, I, I, it's just something that you just get. And so, that's why I suppose why I speak about it is because I want God to open up something to you. I want God to show something to you. So, for 10 years, I pretty much did the giving talk every week, which is something we actually rarely do now. We talk a little bit about it, pray about it, but, you know, it was just something. So over the 10 years, I've, I've spoken about every sort of thing that there is about giving. And a lot of, in this book, there's different teachings that there are. I've, I've, I've done the Malachi one, you know, like how if you don't tithe, you steal from God, and, and all you have you give is got from Him, and he just asks for the 10% back, so why not give her? I did the one about the widow who gives her last meal to the prophet and was saved. I've done a hundred different ones from Proverbs, right? Proverbs 3, which says, trust the Lord with your first fruits. Trust the Lord, you know, and, and your barns will be full. You know, I talked about the widow who put her offering a very last bit, a small amount of money, and, and how Jesus commended her. I declared loudly, pressed down, shaken together, and brimming all over. I showed how in the Garden of Eden that, that God gave Adam and Eve everything, but said, hey, that tree's mine. That, that instant thing of, of having something that's for God, set aside for God, is in the very creation itself. I showed how that there are four rivers placed in the Garden of Eden, and they all mean four different words. One means rapid, one means increase, one means fruitfulness, and one means bursting forth, showing God's intentions for us. Rapid increase of fruitfulness bursting forth. So as you see, I took it pretty seriously. 1 Timothy 6 verses 17 to 19 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So God's not happy if you're just miserable. If you have nothing, He gives us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of life that is truly life saying, don't make life about your possessions. Make your life around the kingdom of God. But this morning, I don't want to go through all of those, even though I just did, right? I want to look at a story from Luke that I'd never really seen or talked about before, in a sense, from giving. And so we're going to look at Luke 18. We're going to read this story. 
Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, And why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things, he was really happy. He goes, all these things I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Listen to their reaction. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? It's pretty impressive reaction and he said the things which are impossible with men are possible with God notice we use that a lot but in the context of where it's spoken in scripture it's talking about money then Peter said see we have left all and followed you so he said to him surely I say to you there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time, in this present life, and in the age to come, eternal life. So let's break that down a little bit. It's a great story from the gospel. A rich, young ruler comes to Jesus. Mark's gospel tells us that he runs to Jesus. So we know that he's genuinely seeking. He's not someone out there just trying to test God. He's not someone out there trying to make out that he's seeking God. He genuinely wants to know. He has a genuine and seeking heart for Jesus. He says to Jesus, how can I get to heaven? And Jesus responds to him and talks the language that he understands and tells him to obey the commandments. He likes this because he's been a genuine seeker of God and he's endeavored to do those things, the things of the law. He's a rich young ruler. He's, he's endeavored to do them since he was a child. So he thinks, this is great. This is good. I, I'm, I'm in. And then Jesus boldly tells him, which is tough of Jesus. He goes, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. I don't know if I've got the courage to do that. To walk up to someone and say, sell all that you have, and come give it away. I, I, that's why I don't want to know. Right? I, I don't want to know, right? Like, you do what God tells you to do. It's a gutsy direction by Jesus. So all you have, give it to the poor. He couldn't give it to the temple because he was a ruler, temple ruler, so it would have been like giving to himself. And follow me, leave all behind what should you know and hold deal, and hold deal. It's a big ask. And in this particular case, it was a bridge too far. The young man couldn't do it and he walks away and it's actually easy to have compassion for this guy and Jesus actually does Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus' heart was sad he said how sad it is but he didn't go and chase after him and Jesus had a definite and genuine love for this young man but he doesn't compromise his request he doesn't change his mind and say just no nah, 
I understand it's a big deal. Look, just give half. No, he, he stays with it. And then he turns to, to his disciples and he says, how hard it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. Their reaction is one of shock. They, they, they can't quite believe what they've heard. They, they, like everyone else and the majority of people around the place, had the mindset that riches were amazing, that riches indicated the blessing of God. That, that, and here was Jesus saying, it's actually hard for a rich person to get to heaven. Their reaction is, well, who then is going to be saved? Who can get saved? I mean, salvation is actually kind of entwined in this whole story. Jesus actually is probably saying and showing to us that salvation can never be achieved by anything a man can do and declares that what is impossible with men is possible with God. How hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven. And to be honest, these words should scare us all because everyone in this building today is actually rich by world standards. I want to show you a picture. It's going to come up. How the world's wealth is shared amongst the population. 68.7% of this world lives less than $10,000 a year. That's a lot. 22% have between 10000 and 100. And that's like with the house there only, all of those things. So basically, 68, 22, 90% of people are in that area. 100, most Australians with their houses and different things like that would probably be in this one here. And then there's the 0.7% who have more than $1 million in assets and different things like that. 0.7%. So if you look at those things, by this world standards... We are rich. So when Jesus says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, that should get our attention. It gets my attention. Now, is Jesus telling us that we should sell everything we have and give it to the poor? No, he's not. That was his particular advice to that particular young man. If he was doing and saying that to us all, he would have told us all to do that. Now, he was showing us the attitude that we must have when it comes to wealth. Don't trust in your wealth. In verse 25, he gives a clue to the right attitude that we should have when it comes to wealth. And he says this, For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He mentions a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, it wasn't literal. It wasn't like, you know, that little needle. and it's got, It wasn't a literal needle. He was speaking about a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. I've got a picture, a modern-day picture of what it looked like. So here's one of the gates of Jerusalem. It's closed at night because there's a walled city that's how people protected themselves back in the day. But in one of the gates, there was a smaller gate that was built. So what you saw, that if you were wanting to come in the city, you had to take everything off your camel and then go through. 
and the camel itself would have to get down on its haunches. And we've all seen pictures of the camels on their haunches kind of walking away. See, at night, the gates of Jerusalem would be shut so that no one could attack. Inevitably, travelers would arrive, and what would happen? Someone would enter through the gate. They had to take everything off all their encumbrances. Have camel would need to be stripped off to walk through the gate on its haunches. On its haunch, haunches, that's the word. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't trust in your riches. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, get rid of your trust in riches. Strip bare your attitudes to money because you'll either serve money or you'll serve the kingdom of God. Jesus said you can't serve both. You'll serve one or the other. You won't do both. And that's why I think that God, in instituting tithing and offering, because all of us are paid or recompensed or we have, we have cycles again and again and again, right? It is, I think it's such a masterstroke because every time I get paid, every time I get recompensed, I have to kind of have a look at that attitude and go, do I strip down my camel and give God what's his or do I trust man's way and try and financially look after myself? Every time it comes to tithing and offering, we're asked that question. I asked again and again to strip off that camel of self-trust. And that's the goal that Jesus has in giving. Jesus is speaking about our attitudes. And it got me thinking, what attitudes? What are the bad attitudes around money that make it hard for a man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because it just... Hit me. You can't pay your way into heaven. And I'm going to finish with a scripture today that's going to freak you all out from Job. It's just an amazing scripture. But you can't pay yourself into heaven. So how is Jesus using money in a way to talk about how to enter heaven? What attitude do I need to strip off my camel? And I'm going to give you a number of bad attitudes that I believe are the things that stop us from having essentially a kingdom attitude. Bad attitude number one, I don't need to share my wealth with others. The rich young ruler comes from a privileged position in life and would have felt that it's his right to have money. He's worked hard. His family's worked hard. He deserved what he had. So why should others feast on his hard work and his good fortune? Why should other people be blessed by his hard work, by his smartness? See, riches can make you selfish or self, just self-indulged. You spend all your time trying to keep your money and trying to make them more. And it's a false promise that getting more is actually going to make your life easier. You know, I had a friend of mine and uh, he was from Malaysia. He was earning 21 million ringgit in his hand after all of his business dealings, in his hand, which is around about $7 million a year. That's what he was doing. You can't spend $7 million a year, right? And a lot of times for rich people, everyone spends money on them anyway. Right? So everywhere he went, someone was like, oh, here, I'll pay for that, I'll do this, right? And so he decided that he wanted more. That somehow, even that he was wanted more. So 
He made some investments and lost everything in the GFC. Right? It made him come back to God. Right? Because it, it just, we saw, he had, he had it all. He, nothing he could do would make him not have that money. But he risks it all. Because that's what trust in riches does. Seems like you got it, but you always want to have more. Even when you got enough, I want more. I want more. I want more. You buy a red Ferrari and you think, oh, I've got a red Ferrari. And you drive and then someone's got a yellow one. And oh man, I wish I had a yellow one. You, you understand, right? That, it, that's what money is if it's about just trying to get more. It makes you selfish. Bad attitude number two. And I don't need to look after those who are worse off than me. The rich young ruler, because he had money from birth, most likely had a fatalistic attitude. Whatever station of life you're in, you're in. If you're poor, you're poor. That's your lot in life. If you're rich, you're rich. It's just the luck of the draw. See, having money can create a wall between people. The real us and them attitude. It can build an arrogance and it can build a judgmental spirit. And you think about how we sometimes think about some of the countries around the world. We have a judgmental spirit around, oh, don't be, oh, there's those, oh. Yeah, I won't say any, obviously, nationalities, but we do. We, trade, we, 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 we don't think we do, but we do, right? And we, we kind of go, it's their fault. They knew how to manage stuff. If they didn't do this, they did that, they'd be all right, but they're not. So sucked in, too bad. See, our riches should alleviate the sufferings of others, not exasperate them. God gives you riches so that you become the vehicle by which he can provide for someone else. Shutting up your compassion for others so that you can have more, let me tell you, that's not a kingdom attitude. By the way, I, I think as a church, I think as a merged church, we actually do this really well. I mean, every time, and I say every time, we ask you to do or give money to a particular project, whether it be sending kids to camp, whether it be buying rice for Cambodia, disastrously, or a one-after kindness to a missionary. We have given, and you have given, as an overflow. We've given way more because you guys have been generous in doing that. And I'm very proud of our church and how easy it is to just ask and all of a sudden people just give. I, I just think it's wonderful that as a church we have that attitude and it's never about just getting a bigger, better, whatever. It's always about seeing it so that the gospel can be preached and other people can be in a better place than what we are. And that's what we need to do is the whole point of the provision for the vision giving is that we can give something better to the people coming than what we have ourselves. Bad attitude number three is I might need it for a later day. The rich young man, rich young as a man of means, ruler as a man of means, would have known the pitfalls of having money. He would have seen how easy it was for money to disappear. Jesus wasn't just asking for some of his riches. He's asking for it all. His money's his future. How could he, without money, control what might happen tomorrow? And I've noticed when I've met some really rich people, they're almost always fearful. They're almost always scared. They're almost always like worried about, about it all. Holding back today because you may need it tomorrow is a short-sighted attitude. It's like saying God only has a limited supply and it places limitations on God's ability. Bad attitude number four. My kingdom, Lord, not your kingdom, God. 
rich young ruler is faced with a choice that we all have to make. Whose kingdom am I going to serve? We all make that choice. And when it comes to money, there's actually no more real choice. Am I going to look after God's house or am I going to look after mine house? As a disciple of Christ, I need to understand that I've been bought with a price. It's as I look after God's kingdom and have a kingdom mindset that my kingdom increases. And I'll speak about that a little bit more in a moment. Bad attitude number five, God can't really look after me. What a rich young ruler, as is for many of us, this is really the big question. Can God look after me? All his life, he's been surrounded by money. He'd seen the beggars. And people would have, nothing would have been coming to him all the time. Can I have this? Can I have that? Can you please help me? Can you do this for me? And he didn't want to be like that. Because he had money, he couldn't see any possible way to live without money. How could I live like them? They got no hope. They got no future. Why would I want to live like that? God can't really be trusted to look after me. You know, people say to me a lot of times, I can't afford to tithe. And I just think, sometimes I say, but I think really can't afford not to tithe. Just do what God asks and, and you'll be looked after. Bad attitude number six. What the world thinks of me is more important than what God thinks of me. See, the rich young ruler had seen the effect that money had had on others. See, a rich person has no lack of friends. Friends by name, anyway. He'd seen the ability for his money to control other people, to get them to do what he wanted them to do. His money was power. His money was status. It made him someone around town. His pride could be directly linked to his riches. Don't allow pride or what someone else thinks to be the arbiter of your giving. Always give in obedience. I want the band to come. The story finishes with Peter declaring, See, we have left all we have to follow you. And Jesus commends them. And they had. These guys were fishermen. They throw all that away. And they just follow Jesus. Luke 18, verse 39, he says this, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents, brothers, wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come in eternal life. See, it's never about the stuff. Jesus doesn't care about the stuff. He cares about our attitude to the stuff. He tells us that we give our, up our rights to the stuff and make His stuff our stuff. Then we'll have enough stuff in this life and in the next. You know, God has no needs. God doesn't need you. He doesn't actually need anything. So if He's asking us to give something, it has to be for us. I love this verse in Job. I've mentioned it before. It shows me how arrogant it is to think I'm needed by God and it's very humbling. Job 36 verse 6. If you sin, how does that affect God? Even if you sin again and again, what effect will it have on Him? If you are good in this some is, 
if you are good in this, some is, oh, I've obviously written that wrong. If you are good in this, some great to you, what could you possibly give him? What could you possibly give God? What does God need? So it must be about you. It must be what God is doing in you. You know, one of the things is that I'm naturally generous. I've always been generous. So giving isn't a a big deal to me. There's two sides of the messages. There's a stewardship side, being wise, and there's a generous side. At this time in juncture, we ask you to talk and, and talk to the generous side to actually understand that God is in control of your finances. So what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for those who right now are doing it tough because I can promise you this many people in a congregation, there are people who are doing it tough. There are people here who have been doing it easy for a long time, but right now it's tough. So we're going to pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that, Father, wherever people are at, oh God, they would see, oh God, they would see, oh Lord, that you are in control, oh God. Father, I pray that a sense of trusting in riches, of wishing and hoping that that I'd have more, all those things, oh God, Father, would be lifted off from them, oh God, and instead would come a sense of God, I just trust you. I'll have enough to do what I need to do. You will look after me, O God. Father, the Word says that a a wise man will leave an inheritance to his children's children, O God. So as Lord, it's it's not about having stuff that's wrong, O God. But Father, even in in accumulating, O God, it's still for the next generations, O God. It's never just for ourselves, O God. Father, Lord, let us have the attitude, O God, that Father, as we grow and and as we accumulate, as things grow and things happen in our lives, oh God, what is it there for? What have we got it for, oh God? How can we look to the needs of others? How can we distribute it? How can we make sure that others, not just us, are getting what we need, oh Lord? Father, I pray, oh God, that the different attitudes that I spoke about, if they're ours, oh God, Father, we just turn from them. We have an attitude of trust, oh God. We have an attitude of looking to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray, oh God, that, that those who have yet to have that revelation, oh God, Father, let it not be just because I spoke some good words today, and, but let it be, oh God, because something comes from revelation, Father, you, O oh Lord, Father, have the finances of this church. Father, in hand, O oh God. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need to scheme and manipulate and do all those different things, O oh God. You'll sort it out. You'll look after it, O oh God. So, Father, if I'm asking that of the individual, I also ask that of the church, O oh Lord. Father, different ones. Father, this week you're going to pray about what it is to give in our provision for the vision offering, oh God. Father, put a figure on there, heart, oh Lord, and let them see, oh God, Father, what you're doing in Jesus' name. Father, as it says, Jesus said, there'll become a reward in this life and in the and in the age to come, oh Lord. Father, I pray that people would have a sense 
of God's goodness and a sense of testimony through this. I ask in Jesus' name that would finish with the praise of God. This, this is what I would say. If it's something that burdens you and worry about it, as I said, I, I'm not going to know if you give or not. But it's one of the areas that the Bible says we're actually able to test God. So I'd, I'd say this. If you're, if you're asking God and it's real and you're really asking about this, I would say do a little test in the sense of give something and then let God show you something from it. How I'll explain that. If uh, Joseph and me went for a drive in a yellow Mini, right? We drove around, all around Redcliffe in a yellow Mini. We had a great old time in the yellow Mini. We had a good old time. When Joseph and me spoke about a yellow Mini, it would mean something to us because we've had a shared experience in that yellow Mini. But if I spoke to John about a yellow Mini, he'd go, oh, that's a nice story, good on you. There's no, there's, there's no connection. There's something that only you and God know about. There's an experience that only you and God have had. And so what I would say is that do a little test and let God show you. Let God give you that revelation. A revelation means that you didn't know it, but suddenly you go, oh, I get that now. I see that now. I'm actually able to, to, to pick that now. And God will show you. I mean, if you don't, then don't give. It's as easy as that. If you're giving today because you think, oh, it's, Mark's told me I have to. That's, that's, not the, that's not the thing. You're giving in response to God. Does it make sense? You're giving in response to God. But it's a proof of God. It's one of the proofs of God. If I'm able to test Him in it, that means it's one of the proofs of God. And one of the things that I see again and again is that testimony. When I needed it, it came true. You know, as I said, I'm now in a stage of life. I don't have to pay school fees anymore. So all of a sudden, I've got more money than I've ever had in my whole life. <laughs> so I can do some things. But I know what it's like when you've got this many bills and you've got nothing to pay. I know when something's due and there's literally nothing to pay. And then God just comes through again and comes in again. I don't know how. No, it's not like someone comes and gives me money and, and does all that stuff. It's just like God gets me through. It's like the feeding of the 5,000. You don't know how this little fish and this little bits of bread make it all happen. But that's what happens. Is that like as you trust God, He's able to do more with, your, with the 90% that you have than if you keep the whole 100%. And so I just would want to encourage you around that. So that's my philosophy around money. That's the heart that I have. And as I say, I'll never try and find out. Sometimes someone will give more than $5,000. And so I just feel that I should talk to that, not in half of the house. Sometimes people do that, so I don't know in, in provision for the vision, but in general tithes and offerings, someone will give more than $5,000. So I will just ring up that person because I've asked the finance people to tell me that. And I ring up the person and I say, look, that's unbelievably generous. I, I, I just can't, you know, I don't know what to say about that. So I just say, thank you. And then I say, if in the next few months you change your mind, 
right? And you, you thought it was just an emotional decision and something happened and you, I said, we'll just, we'll just give it back. No questions asked. So that's the only time I'll find out. So if you give it a, a big amount, I just feel that like as a senior pastor, that it's just a kindness and just to say that I just think it's pretty amazing that you would do that. But other than that, I wouldn't have a clue. And that obviously doesn't happen all the time. It'd be good if it did, but just, you know, like, right? But, uh, uh, but the, 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 that's the attitude. I never want to be about money, but I never want to not also speak about money. Because the Bible says all evil comes from the love of money. So if I can teach you the right attitude to have to money, it's almost like a protection I place over the church. It's one of those things, another stop to evil coming in, selfishness, all of those different things coming in. And so that's why I always will speak about it. So as I say, there should be enough books for it all to go around. They're my last books. So uh, if, if you're getting quick, right? First in, best dressed. I, I'd love to give you more, but there aren't any more. All right? So uh, make sure you get one of those. Why don't you stand?